Hello and welcome to another episode of the Supertop Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Steam Clock and Markup Down. I'm Podrick, recording from Vancouver. And I'm Oshin, recording in Dublin. It's uh, episode 13 and we're recording on Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's lucky, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it'll be our, our best episode yet. So you've been using your iPhone for 10 years now. Close enough, anyhow. I've known about the existence of iPhones for 10 years, at least, or the promise of the new world that was about to start. <laughs> There's been a lot of a lot of hyperbole in the last week. <laughs> we were going to review the last 10 years of the iPhone in one podcast. Now, maybe we should just start with the start. When did you get your first iPhone? I got one of the first iPhones that anyone got, kind of, because I was in I was in California at the time that they launched. Went into Santa Monica and went to the Apple store there and queued up for a little while. Wasn't a huge queue. And then got one of the first iPhones. Was that like the first launch day? I think it might have been one of the first few days, I think. Might not I don't know if it was the very, very first day. And then yeah, went back to Ireland, but like the iPhone wouldn't officially come to Ireland until almost a year later. So the phone I had was completely locked and basically useless to start with. <laughs> Um, but people figured out how to do the activation part pretty quickly. Um, so, and like once it was activated, you were able to unlock it and use all the apps and stuff on Wi-Fi. but you still couldn't make phone calls with it or do, or send text messages or do any of the usual, usual phone stuff. Hmm. Um, so people were working on jailbreaks and unlocks, but the one I ended up using was the very first one that, uh, GeoHot came up with which meant I had to like physically take the case off this like brand new $800 phone. How do you take it off? Oh, it was really awkward. Like remember the first one had like the rounded edges. Yeah. You had to like jam in little bits of plastic you could find and like lever it off on one side and then so scary. pull it off the other side. I know. And it was like this precious thing. Cause I was back in Dublin at this point, obviously. And it was this precious thing that I knew I couldn't replace even if, even if I had the money, which I didn't. Um, but I really wanted to use it as an actual phone, so I just went for it anyway. So I had to open the case, run something on my Mac, and then like hold hold a wire so it connected two points within the phone in order to, I don't know, do something that I didn't understand. And then while I'm holding two wires touching certain points on the phone in exactly the right place, with my nose, <laughs> I would like reach down and hit spacebar to make the program run. <laughs> um, and then it worked. It was like 2 a.m. in the morning and I got it working and it was very exciting. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, so I think I was like almost certainly one of the first, if not the first person in Ireland to have an iPhone that could connect to a yeah, like to the phone network, um, which is the most worthwhile thing I've done with my life. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing like the like the website after like the the announcement. I don't, I wasn't that much in into Apple like at that stage. Um I had an iMac, but I wasn't like reading up all the rumor sites. I don't remember even being particularly aware that like oh maybe Apple are going to release a phone or not. So like the first thing I found about it, out about it was basically oh Apple have a phone and I was like okay wow and I just like studied that website for like hours <laughs> uh, it was the first keynote i ever watched then because it was already up on the marketing site and i was so blown away by uh the images i remember the, just being so shocked by the price like it makes sense to me now i guess the price that it had but um at the time i remember just thinking oh i guess i'll probably never 
be able to afford to have one of these phones, but um, didn't stop me from enjoying the website at least. It wasn't actually that long later until I decided that it actually was probably important that I'd be really cool and be as cool as you and, and get one too. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember they started out at, uh, okay, I don't remember the exact price, but say like, was it $700 or $800? Yeah, something and like that. And then they cut it by 200 after a few months. And that was like a big deal. Cause, hmm. um, yeah, people were annoyed about that. And then they gave them vouchers or something like that. Yeah, I remember it was by Christmas time. It was coming up to Christmas time when I'm not sure if the price had already gone down then or not, or if I had just managed to get a couple of good contracts in and like was feeling a bit like flash with my money. Or maybe it was a Christmas present and my father, I decided should be feeling flash with his money. I'm not sure, but <laughs> um, it was coming up to Christmas time and a friend of mine uh, who I shared an office with in Dublin was going to to a meeting or some maybe a shopping trip or something in New York. And I managed to convince her to bring back an iPhone for me. Um, I have a, I tweeted a photo earlier on today of me inside my office in Dublin at the time, like 2007. Um, completely clean shaven, wearing like this gray suit and blue shirt and tie and all this looking very, uh, looking very corporate, far more corporate than I actually even was at the time. But it's a, it's kind of a funny picture of me the day that I got the first, the, just the <laughs> box. Well, no, there was a phone in the box, but I had promised others and myself that I wasn't going to open it until Christmas day. So oh, right. so. I, I just enjoyed the box that day. <laughs> And yeah, you because you got years later, and I think the unlocks had moved on a bit, so you didn't have to perform surgery, right? I didn't know really what I was going to have to do, but I knew that I knew someone who might be able to help me, mm-hmm. or at least I kind of knew you, and I thought you might be able to help me. So it was because yeah, so a bit before that, a mutual friend of ours, John Ryan, um, I was meeting him in a coffee shop in Dublin called Lemon, and you were already with him or something, and you had. You had the iPhone. That might have actually been part of what convinced me eventually that, like, okay, no, I have to, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Padraig can be walking around Dublin with an iPhone, I need to, I need to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that is basically the origin story of Supertop in a way. Like that's how that's how we got to know each other properly. I think. Yeah, I phoned you up late some night. I texted John, asked for Padraig's phone number. I'm not sure how late it was in my in my mind. It's like. Well, it was an unreasonable time to be calling someone you don't really know anyhow, but I remember phoning you up to ask you what I can do to unlock this phone. Um, and luckily for me, at least, it had gotten a lot easier at that time. So I think maybe you must have like pointed me to some sort of jailbreak website or some software that I could run on the thing. I think you could go to a page in Safari that was like a few months where it was that easy. It was a bit more involved than that, I think, at the time that I did it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, mixing things up. I have a screenshot from my phone of like the moment that unlocked. I don't think that was from the website, but I'm not really familiar with like the different uh, jailbreaks. But I, I'll tweet an image of this and see if anybody recognizes like what software it was or something like that 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 I was doing. But when I finally did open, <laughs> when I finally did open the thing on Christmas Day, so this was like before I had called you to try and unlock it or whatever it was. Um, but I just wanted to be able to like connect it to the Wi-Fi even. Um, I was at my parents' house, which is in the middle of nowhere in Westmead, and I think there had been like a storm or something. So there was no internet in the house, and there was no way for me to like get into like even any screen of the phone at all without connecting to Wi-Fi. Um, 
And so my mother drove me in to like Athlone, which is like this nearest city to their house. And we <laughs> we drove around Athlone uh, just trying to find like open Wi-Fi networks sitting outside people's homes to connect to their Wi-Fi networks wow. to do the like activation or maybe it was to download an update or I can't remember exactly what it was, but I just know that, yeah, we spent like an hour or two driving around Athlone trying to get my my phone working on Christmas day. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Cause people used to, there were a few years there where everyone had open Wi-Fi networks. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty handy, but it, it was, must've been a download that was taking a long time or something. And I remember once or twice being like starting to feel like we were pretty suspicious, just like sitting outside somebody's house <laughs> in the car. So I ended up, I think, I don't still have that iPhone one because I think I ended up taking it apart to reuse parts for like my brother's screen broke. So I gave him my screen. And so I think that phone is in pieces in a drawer somewhere or maybe I got rid of it altogether. Do you still have your one? Mm, no. <laughs> what happened? It, it had an unfortunate end or well, maybe it had a very happy life after this, but it was it was stolen from me at gunpoint in uh, well and machete point. On a on a bus in Mexico. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think I vaguely remember you telling me that. Jesus, that's crazy. So what what happened? Oh, we were on this night bus from Cancun down to San Cristobal de las Casas or something like. Yeah, um, and it was an overnight bus because we wanted to save time. We didn't want to be like traveling through the day. And there's a part of the jungles or i was about to say countryside but it's more jungly i guess in uh in chiapas down there um is this still is this still athlone no this is <laughs> close but mexico oh okay <laughs> uh i was in mexico at the time <laughs> four guys had like blocked the road with a uh with a like knocked down some trees that were blocking the road so that the bus had to stop um I was sitting like in the front seat, like right behind the driver. Uh, I was awake. I was listening to some music or something on my on my phone anyhow. So I just had my phone was like just sitting there in my open palm. And I saw these four guys standing on the side of the road with like their with balaclavas over their head, like waving the bus down to make the bus stop. And I guess I wasn't like thinking too clearly or too quickly at the time because I was just like, oh, this is this is kind of weird. Wonder what's going on here, and then like within two seconds, like the yeah, they, the bus stopped. They they come in and basically like robbed everybody on the bus. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, like went down one by one down along. They had like yeah. So I was just still sitting there with my phone like in my hand. It was like the easiest like okay yeah here I guess you take this. Uh, yeah, a couple oh, of man. couple of the guys had machetes. A couple of them had some guns. Um, so I just, yeah, handed him the phone, obviously. Uh, he put his hand in my pocket, I think, and I had like an iPod Classic in there as well, which I had all my music on. So he took that as well. My girlfriend at the time, Kat, was beside me. I don't think she had, I don't think she had anything stolen. She maybe an iPod, a little iPod mini or something. Um, but we had all our, the rest of our stuff there as well. Like we had laptops. I had my like SL, DSLR, um, <clears throat> like in different bags around the place. And they like kept going down along the bus. Um robbing each seat essentially um and i was wondering like oh should i do something to like try and hide my other things or just like hope for the best mm. and I think it's a good thing really that i didn't move and do anything else because they just like it all only lasts like a few minutes and then they four guys just like ran off the bus ran into the into the jungle and like 
this was in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Like right. we were, it was hours before we even got to a town after this. Uh, and like within like 30 seconds of these guys running off the bus, like this police car came like sirens blazing, like whirling up to the front of the bus, oh, uh, wow. kind of like foe chasing them off into the jungle. It was totally set up. Like it was, I remember like still being quite naive and like wanted, went out to like talk to the, um, the police officer who had arrived because uh, I was like, oh, I have insurance. I can claim the insurance. I want to make a report with the police officer and like asked him. He wouldn't even like tell me his name or anything. It was like so dodgy. <laughs> How do you mean it was a setup? The police, like that maybe the police were going to like get a cut or something and they were like, okay, look, we'll give you three minutes, but then you're going to have to leave and we're going to show up and pretend that we're like all good and concerned. Oh, like, okay. Jeez. Uh, they fired like a couple of shots just up into the air, but they didn't like chase after the guys or or do anything to help people make reports or anything. Okay. It was kind of annoying, obviously, to lose that stuff, but there was a guy behind us. The guy that was sitting just behind us, um, he was a Mexican guy. I'm not sure where he was from originally, but, like, he was going, to, he was moving, basically, to San Cristobal um, and just had all his cash on him was basically all the money that oh, he had no. in the world for, like, this move. And, like, that was just all gone. Uh, oh, that's yeah. horrible. So it was pretty, pretty sucky situation. <laughs> It was kind of annoying as well because it was like we had been in the US beforehand and like whenever we told people that we were going to Mexico, like we, I got so tired of people's um, just had like very disparaging comments about like if you said you were going to Mexico, they're like, oh, you're crazy. Like it's so dangerous down there. Um, and I still believe like wildly like inaccurate stereotypes of what it was going to be like when we got there. Mm -hmm. um, like we traveled around for the next few months, like with no problems, with, like everybody being super nice to us. And with this feeling of like, I uh, see all those people who were like fear mongering us were, were just crazy. And then like we got robbed at gunpoint and with machetes as well. And it was like, oh, we can't really stay on that high horse so easily now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, I guess. But you were, you were in South America for like close to two years. And was that the only serious thing that happened or? Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. lose another iPhone, but that one was just my own fault. I replaced that. There's a tweet like the next morning after we arrived when I think I tweeted something like, um, something like, oh, is it wrong that like the first thought to cross my mind when my iPhone was stolen at gunpoint was uh, iPhone 3G for the win or something like that? <laughs> yeah, you obviously weren't too shook up. Like. I was like, oh, okay, new iPhone. <laughs> Jeez. I, I was so iPhone-less for a little while. I think that was like... Yeah, it was like I traveled then down through like the rest of Central America. And I think it was like then that Christmas when uh, my parents came to visit us in Colombia and they brought me uh, a new iPhone 3GS, I think it was at that stage, for like another Christmas present, essentially. Hmm. I only had that one for like about two weeks and then I left it on a, I just like got off a bus and left it oh, on, no. my, on my seat in Bogota and realized just as the bus was pulling off and like chased the bus like chased the bus as fast as I go down the road but I couldn't catch it <laughs> so yeah those first two iPhones of mine uh, had a they were a bit unlucky for me yeah wow then a friend of mine in Tucson Arizona sent me he had an original iPhone one uh, which he wasn't using anymore so he sent that down to me in Colombia um, and that's what I then started actually like learning and developing like my first ever iPhone apps on that one so third time lucky um, I think we should take a moment and let you know about the first sponsor, our first sponsor this week, which is Steam Clock. So Steam Clock software uh, designs and develops great apps for iOS and Android. They're based there in Vancouver. 
where Podrick is. Um, Steam Clock is run by, led by Alan Pike, um, who's a friend of ours who we've mentioned before. And I've actually, since the last episode that we did, there's been a couple of episodes of the Release Notes podcast have come out um, interviewing Alan in two parts about the work that Steam Clock does and the work that they do on their own products and the work that they do for clients. Um, and they're good episodes. And if you're looking for somebody to develop an app for you, I would recommend like listening to those episodes and getting like a really good feeling for like the integrity that Alan has and the carefulness uh, and thoughtfulness that he brings to the work that Steam Clock do. He had a, like there was one line in particular on that show that like jumped out at me as like a really good encapsulation of what they do, which was like we're product people. Just sometimes we build products for other people. Hmm. Um, so they work on their own apps, um, and if you're lucky, they'll also work on yours. <laughs> they focus a lot like on just the quality the polish and the user experience of the apps that they make and if you need a great app made they will treat that as carefully and with as much attention to detail as as they do their own products um so they are a great app development company there in vancouver they also i know they do a good bit of work for clients in silicon valley and in new york and probably other places around the u.s as well so wherever you're based uh, if you're looking for an app to be developed i recommend you take a look at steam clock software and talk to alan and the rest of the guys there about helping you out on that cool um so you, you link to some other reactions to the 10 years of iphone thing that that's been going around so we could talk through a few of those maybe um there was one thread there's a thread by the guy who makes uh pleco michael love oh yeah the chinese um dictionary app yeah so we mentioned we mentioned that app before when we were talking to jared right in our interview with jared sinclair yeah because it was after on red or after jared stopped running on red he published a numbers post it started off a conversation about whether it's possible for indies to succeed in the app store. And uh, Ben Thompson wrote a blog post mentioning Pleco as a comparison, saying that he had uh, just licensed the data for a Chinese dictionary and made an app for it. And because he had locked, like he had exclusive access to that data, he was able to build a safe business that uh, could do could do better than something generic that anyone could build. Um or that's, well, okay, I'm not saying Unread is something anyone could build. Something that's competing on something fluffier like design or or uh, workflow or something like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he had, a, he had a thread. I guess we don't need to read it all, but it said, uh, 10th anniversary of iPhone is somewhat bittersweet for me. There are quite a few things I miss about antediluvian mobile development, <laughs> which I had to look up. <laughs> so of or belonging to the time before the biblical flood. <laughs> wow, that Pleco app has been around a lot longer than I even knew. <laughs> so I guess he means he, he Pleco was out for Pam and Windows Mobile before iPhone. So I guess he means before before like more than a thousand people had a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it was interesting to me even that I didn't realize even that that Pleco app had been around even from those Pam days. Um, I guess his point at the time was that like the money that he could make at the time was pretty comparable to the money that he can make now on iOS, but it's like with a lot fewer users, but he was, I think he was able to charge a lot more for the app at that stage. Yeah. So that's an interesting point, but I think it's worth pointing out that like, 
how many different types of apps were even possible on Pam OS um, way back then. And like a dictionary is definitely one. So cool. That's good. But now with the iPhone, there's like a whole gigantic ecosystem of things that are possible because because of its internet connection and sensors and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously he's not thinking about that because his app would work on both of them. Yeah, and I mean, I think in fairness, he's not also really saying that like, he does say for me, like I don't think he's saying that like there was a better software ecosystem in general for everybody or whatever, but just that some things about those days he likes to like, he thinks back on fondly. Like even he talks other things about like not having to deal with app review and uh, having a lot of low level access to the OS and stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess once you've been like developing software for that long, I've been fair enough that you would might often think back on the on the on the good things about the the olden times <laughs> mm-hmm. and then there was a, another tweet by matt gemmel um which i think yeah this is a, a good way to start into what we think of the app store and how it's gone over the last 10 years uh, well 10 years of the iphone anyway so he said Hard to believe that in just a decade, apple pretty much wrecked the indie software scene and decimated software's perceived monetary value um what do you think of that you could i could definitely argue that lots of that has happened i guess over the past 10 years i mean even i guess in a way some part of it ties into what michael love was saying here about that like he was able to charge a lot more for pleco back in those days um i don't know if i could say that it's all down to like it's apple's fault necessarily that this has happened yeah like there's an industry trend i think towards free software like Google has been giving everything away forever, hmm. Gmail and then Google Docs. Um, Facebook is entirely free to use. Um, Twitter's free. Yeah, it was more of a web trend really than like just a like an iPhone trend. I think like apps on Android are like have the same thing where they're not. You can't make tons of money by charging twenty dollars for your Android app either. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think it's too much to say that Android or that Apple solely did it because I feel like yeah, I think. It's been an overall thing. Apple could have fought against it, maybe, and didn't. Mm. So I'd, I'd say that. <laughs> um, and like, okay, just to tear apart his tweet completely, <laughs> um, he said Apple pretty much wrecked the indie software scene. Well, like, people still say the Mac is a good place for indies. Like, not that it's easy, but like, it's possible to make mm-hmm. something work. And that isn't gone away. Um, but the iPhone was a new thing that has been added to it. So I I don't think you can say that the indie scene is wrecked. Like I would take issue, I think, with saying that like the iPhone came out and then that was like ushered in this era that like has been the like downfall of indie development. Um, like even if indie development is harder these days than say maybe it was three or four or five years ago, um, didn't the iPhone famously usher in an era where it was like the gold rush of indie development as well for a while? Um, so like there's been more than just yeah that's a good point actually there's a whole there's a curve there of like initially there was yeah there was definitely a year maybe where you could make any old crap in three months and get it out there and it might not not everyone was going to be a millionaire but there's a good chance you'd make like significant money for your work Hmm. Um, and then it I think just culturally it moved on that like there was this time when it was interesting to meet somebody and talk about what apps you found and then people started to 
like it started to balance out into what was actually useful. Mm. Like you don't people see most people you meet don't have a spirit level app on their phone anymore. Like a a level measure. Until until we bring out our next app. <laughs> <laughs> because like that was a cool thing you could do on your iPhone because it had an accelerometer. You could see if something was level or not. But I have one of those in my toolkit and I've used it approximately five times in my life. <laughs> so it's it's not something I need with me every day as a useful thing. I'm sure there's someone that it's possibly useful for. Um, ben Thompson had responded to the to Michael Love's tweet saying that like he basically bought that. I can't remember what phone he said it was, but one of the main reasons for buying that phone was because Pleco was on it. Hmm. Which that kind of seemed to interest me in the sense that like, I'm not sure if that was a huge thing then where people were like, were, would buy a mobile device like for like as a single function in a single function kind of way um, or like specifically because of one app. But yeah, that's a good question. Do like, does, does anyone choose an iPhone over another phone because there's an app they want? Hmm. I, don't, I, I think like over again, if you'd like think about the different iterations of the iPhone and th what was happening around them. There were probably times when that was true. Like, I think there was a while with iMessage where people wanted to be on iMessage and then WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and other things have kind of like cross-platform things or more like kind of solved that problem. I mean, I think Apple wanted to be true for Apple wanted to be true. I think like in terms of their like rationale behind iMessage and like why it's like exclusive to iOS is I'm not sure if it's is it to tempt people in or just like to keep them there uh, so that they don't leave afterwards um, but like even stuff like like Mario Run um, obviously Apple really wanted that to be like exclusive and it was exclusive is exclusive for now to iOS at least um, and Apple pulled out like all their marketing stops to like promote that app Um mm -hmm. So I mean, maybe they're hoping that like oh, people that will like make the iPhone more appealing. I'm not sure if they think that somebody's going to buy an iPhone just to use Mario Run, but maybe it's more about like the overall impression that it gives when when there are a number of of these different things that you can promote at different stages. Yeah, I think if it's if it's perceived that the good apps all come to iPhone first, which it was definitely the case for a while. Hmm. I could see that being a draw. But I remember remember with iMessage for a while when like most people you knew had iPhones and it would go blue and then once in a while it would be green. I remember that being a real like, oh, for God's sake, Jimmy, get an iPhone. <laughs> um, and now like half my friends who have iPhones, well, most of my friends who have iPhones use WhatsApp because they have two or three people in their network who have a Android and they don't want to exclude them. Mm-hmm. I think those software reasons are maybe less powerful than they used to be as a draw to, to make you have to get an iPhone versus an Android phone. Mm. And Apple does have Apple Music on Android now, which is kind of an interesting, like if Apple Music was something unique that you couldn't get somewhere else, then it would probably just be an iPhone thing. There was rumors before iOS 10 that they are before WWDC last year that Apple were going to announce um iMessage for Android, right? Was that yeah, at I think that so. stage or was it before the iPhone launch or something? But I remember yeah. some of those ideas floating around the place anyhow. So like I listened to the financial calls and read some of that stuff and 
the the big change in Apple in the last eighteen months, say, has been to try to move towards making more money from services and the ecosystem and stuff like that, which is like kind of explains Apple Music, and it's a reaction to the fact that iPhone growth isn't going to keep going, or like hasn't kept going up forever. So now they need to start cashing in on the fact that there's like a hundred million people using an iPhone. Um, so I could kind of see if if like iMessage is still seen as a good thing, but it's not quite enough to make you choose an iPhone all on its own. Maybe it's better to like offer Android people a way into that system. And like maybe they're charged $5 a month or $10 a year or something in order to have an Apple account or a CloudKit account or something. And then they can use that stuff. And then Apple gets to make money off Android too. I could totally see that happening and it'll be like, this massive shocking twist thing like when iTunes appeared on Windows but it doesn't I don't see a huge drawback to it if they can make money from it for a while after the after Android came out and especially when it started getting like a bit more competitive I really believed and I think maybe others did that like Apple would still win ultimately like that Android would fully go away and Apple would completely win and I don't think anyone reasonable thinks that anymore no, I mean I don't see either. I don't see either of them going away. But um. yeah, they're too established. But at the start, I really thought like the iPhone is so much better than Android. Like I remember seeing early versions of Android, and it was just complete crap. Um, and now I, I haven't used it recently, but I imagine it's not so far off. Um, so I could see Apple realizing like they're not gonna, they're not gonna win and dominate overall. So they might as well make some money off both platforms. I wonder about the lock inside of it as well. Like, even if there wasn't like particular apps that um, convinced you in the first place to get that device, but that like, as you get used to using a system and like the different apps that you've built up over time, whether they're apples like iMessage or become to rely on Tweetbot or Castro or on Red, <laughs> yeah. uh, for example. Um, like that does still like serves like to Apple's advantage clearly. Um, but and there's not that much to say there, I guess, around Apple. But one part as well where I've been thinking about that recently is like in terms of like people have been getting pretty down about Mac stuff um, and like just um, Microsoft brought out that new the like the Surface Studio is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so the kind of iMac you look in one but where it like it has the arm that like extends down so that you can put it flat and then use it as a touch device as well um and, like people got really excited about that um and like i'll get excited about the innovation of it ex for example and like oh apple isn't innovating and like at microsoft are doing much more interesting things and blah blah, blah. um but when i like imagine i don't know like how bad would max have to get or how good would anything else have to get before I could consider moving over not just out of like some like oh no I'm only ever going to use Apple because I love Apple and I'm never going near Windows but like the cost of like moving like from between those systems like in terms of like figuring out your workflows again and like getting all your the equivalent versions of software again um and getting back to a point where you can be as productive on one system as you were previously on the other one. Um, yeah. If I ever am going to stop using a Mac, like things are going to have to have gotten pretty, pretty bad by, by before that could ever happen. <laughs> hmm. That Surface Studio thing does look intriguing. Like if I had $3,000 to throw away on something, 
I'd love to try one out. Like the, it has that, there's like a, what do they call it? Surface dial. It's this hardware thing you put on the screen and it can pop stuff up. I think it draws people like me and you when a new user interface thing happens or appears. Like touch was the big thing that made iPhones kind of fascinating because it was, that was such a new direct way to interact with stuff. And mm-hmm. this, maybe this dial can, thing can, like either it'll be a gimmick and no one will talk about it in a year or it'll possibly be something you'll want on everything. It's definitely super intriguing. I think, yeah, that's one of the things that like really drew me into that, uh, like the, the ad for that thing uh, was like not yeah. necessarily even so much to like the screen come in touch and and getting more flat out in front of you, which is cool in itself. But it was, yeah, it was seeing that that input device and just kind of going off into daydreams about, oh, I wonder what you could do if you were making software to work with something like that, what kind of metaphors you could come up with or, yeah, it's interesting for sure. Yeah, and it came the day before the, or like a day or two before the touch bar thing. And I remember watching the touch bar keynote thing uh, where there was a big section where they had demos and like Adobe had a Photoshop demo where you could use the touch bar to do a bunch of Photoshop stuff. And then they had a DJ doing a load of stuff on the touch bar. And I thought, I'm kind of interested in the touch bar itself, but I felt like the DJ thing was like, nah, this is not easier than an iPad. (laughs) So I remember thinking that was kind of a clumsy demo to try and push it that far. Um, And then the Microsoft one, which is like a prepared video, and obviously it's good. The Microsoft one seemed much more like maybe a a genuinely useful thing that could change things. Just And there was so much contrast between them because they were just uh, announced days apart from each other. But yeah, I think some people are trying out Windows and it'll be interested to like read the blog post in two or three months um, to see see what they thought. If you're one of those people who's trying out Windows, we have a sponsor this week that you might be interested in. Um, Markup Down is the best markdown editor for professionals on Windows 10. It includes two-pane live preview, in-app uploads to Imager for image hosting, and multi-markdown table support. Features that you won't find anywhere else include markup down, multi-line table, and bootstrap grid support. Beautiful, easy actions that keep the markdown flowing. HTML paste to paste HTML source into your documents. You have, or your PC using friend has, wasted more than $15 of your time looking for a great markdown editor. Stop looking. Markup down is the app you've been looking for. Find it now at markupdown.com. That's interesting about the whole, uh, like, that it will upload images that you drop in very easily. Yeah, that's cool. Because that's the thing I often am right. Or when we write our blog posts, we usually write them in Markdown. Yeah, and we do this really awkward like way of like uploading our images to our server uh, and then copying. Yeah, it gets pretty messy. But yeah, like it's kind of an interesting. Like if I was thinking about making apps on Windows Ten, and like believed that there might be an exodus from the Mac to Windows at some point, it's kind of cool to pick something like that to work on. I think because. Like those are the little day-to-day things that you're that would hold you back. You were saying like the the cost of transitioning to Windows could hold could stop you from moving. Yeah, well, I know where to I know where to go for Markdown now at least. Yeah, I remember I looked at it. I installed Windows Ten on my iMac on a boot camp partition because just because I wanted to use it for games, um, and then when some of this talk of moving to Windows came around, I was like, okay, what would it actually take to to like for me to do any of my work in windows and obviously xcode i can't so there's nowhere to go with that 
but I also do a lot of work on our web server tentacle stuff. So I should be able to do uh, Ruby on Rails development in Windows, surely. So I looked around at like the tools that I have on Mac and what I have on Windows. And Sublime actually, Sublime Text is the editor I'm using, and it exists on Windows, so that was cool. And then I started looking at Git and how to get that working, and it was kind of horrible. Like, um, it's not really made for Windows, obviously. And you end up, yeah, just seemed very messy to get it to work properly. And there wasn't a good GUI client that I knew of. I'm sure one exists, but I would have had to go, like, buy five of them and try them out. Hmm. And then, yeah, like getting the, I do all my development in a virtual machine uh, running, uh, like running our whole web server stuff. Getting all that going again was going to be awkward. Um, on a Mac, you have Unix basically underneath. So you can do a lot of that stuff and it'll be the same as what's on your server. But on Windows, it's totally different. So yeah, it's, I think <laughs> I've gone on too long about this. <laughs> I think it'll be hard to transition because there are a few little apps like that that you end up, or a few little things you end up missing. Um, I also really hope that some people do figure it out and that like there is a plan B if something goes wrong with Mac OS or with Apple. Yeah, my, uh, my plan B will be stop coding and just uh, become a professional podcaster instead. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I don't really see many of the, like there's a lot of talk about the Mac being in trouble uh, or like all the MacBook Pro stuff from this year. And like they're all real things and everything, but I still think they could all just go away in six months. Like everything could get better very quickly. I don't think there's anything like critical that's happened that's mm. like absolutely ruining it so one angle that i think we missed on earlier just in terms of like what changes the iphone the introduction of the iphone brought about and like if it was like the beginning of the end of indie developers worldwide um it's just like some more thoughts on like what it has actually like promoted or what it what like what it is still making into a big thing so like for example podcasting um obviously podcasting did precede the iphone and people had uh podcasts on their ipods um but like i think like the iphone and then the like more broader like mobile revolution that came thereafter like have has re have really played like a big part in um making podcasts as popular as they are today yeah, I don't think podcasts could be where they are now if you had to like download them onto iTunes and then sync them to your iPod every day. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I got like Instacast on my phone years ago. Um, it was like the first app. I'm not sure it was the first one that did it, but it was the first app I ever had that like you could sub subscribe to feeds and download the episodes as they came out. Um, and it just like seemed like such a like revolution to me i was like oh this is incredible this is like exactly what i want um because i don't think even when the iphone came out like apple had you could sync podcasts onto it but you could they didn't have like a podcasts app at the time that would like download oh yeah them. it was just it was just the music app i guess so that was like a fantastic like uh opportunity for third parties there obviously it took us a few years to come out with our own podcast app but um it was that was a fantastic opportunity for instacast and the rest of those guys at the start so I think it's an interesting angle that we're like not just working on iPhone. We're like doing iPhone development, but we're also doing podcast development and like neither of them would have existed 
hmm. without smartphones in some form. There's the other angle as well that like it, it like enabled the whole social networking revolution that we've had and has produced billions of dollars for Facebook and Twitter and whoever else. Um, but Apple's not really part of that, but like the technology in itself really has come into its own alongside that. It's so interesting that those things couldn't have existed without smartphones and that smartphone companies don't really make any money from them. Like hmm. Twitter took off when you, when I could like be at an airport waiting for my bag and complain about being at the airport waiting for my bag <laughs> at the same time. Those were the glory days of Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and before that, like, I think I had a Twitter account maybe a little bit longer than, or like a little bit before the iPhone came out, but I don't know if it would have gone anywhere without the, like the instant appeal of being able to talk about what you're doing right now. And Facebook, yeah, Facebook existed before then too. But remember, it was all like about defining your relationships with people and you'd say how you met people and you'd be making these big family trees and stuff. And now it's much more like you post something on Facebook and some an algorithm decides how some people see it. Like it's much different. I went into a little daydream there just wishing that my Twitter was just full of people telling me about how they were stuck at airports instead of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Twitter could get back to those that peak. <laughs> Let's not go down that rabbit hole, though. <laughs> um, what do you think of Anton Reese's thing? Oh, yeah, the, the Kickstarter. I'm really curious to see, actually, how much. Let me see. I want to see how he's doing on it. Kickstarter. It was $33,000 last time I checked, of a $10,000 goal. Yeah, it's 38000 38. Oh, we should probably explain what it is a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I don't fully understand it, but it's basically, I, I think it's a way to publish a feed along the lines of your Twitter feed, but you, you're publishing it yourself and you own it, and then the app can pull together. Yeah, it can be aggregated in an app. So you can use it like Twitter to do microblogging, but it's not a centralized company that owns all of the data. And I think you can even, I think he uses it, like you can use it to publish tweets, like you can publish tweets using it, like if you did want to still reach people on Twitter, but it's not that Twitter owned a like canonical, canonical um, version of your content. Yeah, um, right. It's just like a side, like if Twitter disappears, your content is still where you have it, where you've published it yourself. Yeah. So you can make it, I think you can make it work with WordPress or Tumblr, or you can make your own thing that publishes your feed and then... But like the screenshots of the app look like Twitter to me. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's yeah based on that same concept, I guess. But the biggest part about it is around owning your own, owning your short form writing, as the subtitle says. So I think to give the Kickstarter a focus, he, it's the Kickstarter is for a book he's writing about how how it all fits together and how it works, mm -hmm. and so that's ostensibly what you're backing. There's a good combination there, I think, between him having the book and having the service. Um, the tiers that he can offer on Kickstarter, like they they increment in like I think very natural feeling ways, and like he can get in there even. I think like the base level is ten dollars. Sorry, I'm using the wrong trackpad to try to scroll this page. So for ten dollars, you get an ebook and early access to reserve your username on the service, which is micro.blog is the name and URL of the service. Um, 
and then like the levels up as it goes up is like you start adding like numbers of months that you're prepaying for and at a certain point then you can upgrade from ebook to the real book uh, to a physical book as well um but it creates good tiers i think going down along um so you're like 10 20 50 um all the way up to 100 um so that made a lot of sense to me um the first time i saw the page he was already like getting very very close to 10k um and i remember kind of worrying like maybe he sh- make maybe the goal should have been higher um because maybe once people see that you've gone past your goal maybe that kind of um can slow down um the bids that you're getting um but it's i remember predicting at the time that it was i wasn't sure if he would get like would be able to get more than like twice of what his goal was um mm-hmm. but he's up to four times it now so he's definitely doing really well with it the book having it around a book i think is kind of nice too because then there's a there's like a thing that he can deliver i think in march 2017 mm-hmm. and that's something like he can just send out and it's done versus with like a, a kickstarter for a service i think it's awkward cuz you're like giving someone access to something for a limited time so it's kind of nice to that there's like it's not necessarily a physical thing but like one absolute thing that is just done that you get i think it makes it a bit clearer um but yeah it's i i remember thinking like okay the strategy on kickstarter of having like a low enough price and then doing stretch goals so that you definitely get the money like especially with something you're i think he's going to do this anyway like even if his if he hadn't hit his 10 grand he might have just done it anyway mm. um if it's something like that then pick a low goal and then try to grow it versus like trying to pick a big ambitious one um he hasn't posted any stretch goals at all though which is kind of surprising yeah, I asked him about it on Twitter, um, and he responded. I'm not sure if he responded using Twitter or using micro.blog, but um, yeah, he said he had like reached a goal much quicker than he expected. But I know he's. I think he's thinking about things that he could announce for them, but he hasn't yet. Hmm. Um, the book as well, I guess, is good from the point of view that, like, the way this is like, and kind of a new approach to like how to treat your short form writing or what you've people probably traditionally just think of as tweeting um the idea of like launching that like around a little uh, around a book there's some just part of it that feels like kind of like manifest manifesto-ish to me like Mm. um it's a new idea like let's like use the book as an opportunity to like explain the benefits and the technical details to everybody and kind of yeah I think it's interesting from the idea of like trying to start a, a movement that you have this like book that people can refer to going forward. Yeah, well, I'll look, I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a try when when it's ready and when I know more about it. Um, would we ever? We've talked about doing Kickstarters once or twice, not in any serious detail, but this makes me more positive about the potential for it. Yeah, I think it could be fun. I can't really quite picture what our actual Kickstarter would be yet or like how much, like how we would pitch it or how much we would be hoping to get from it. But um, it could be interesting. Uh, but yeah, we need to put a lot more. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something like, I don't know, Castro 3 and it's a Kickstarter that we try to make enough money to cover us both working on it for a year or something <laughs> so that we can just like forget about, like there was a nice time in the last, I think maybe the last eight months of developing Castro 2, where we were relatively focused on what we had to finish and weren't thinking about money at all yet because we hadn't got to the pricing conversation. Mm. It's kind of nice to have that stuff off your plate. 
if we knew we had enough to keep us going up front and then could just forget about it, that'd be really cool. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how you turn an app into a Kickstarter. We'd have to have something beyond the app because Apple doesn't want you to use promo codes or anything like that to give rewards. Yeah, you wouldn't have enough promo codes anyhow. So it would need to be more probably something based around membership or recurring revenue or something like that. Yeah. So or we just have to write a book. Yeah, maybe we write a book about how to how to use Castro too. <laughs> it's a very short book. <laughs> write a book about how to how to how to start a podcast and get to thirteen episodes. <laughs> yeah, good for us. We made it to thirteen episodes. <laughs> um, do you have any podcasts that like? Can you remember any podcasts that you were subscribed to on your very first podcast app that are even still around? Um, it was all five by five stuff at the time, so I yeah. can't remember for sure if the timing on this works out. But I I remember listening to like the talk show or whatever incarnation of the talk show was then. Um, and I remember hypercritical and build and analyze. Um, and I'm not sure I ventured too much further beyond just anything that Dan Benjamin was publishing. Essentially, hmm. yeah, the talk show has been going a long time actually. Yeah, yeah, long time. Cybercritical is over, obviously, and Bills and Analyze. Well, they've kind of merged. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, and do you have any rec podcast recommendations for today? I'm completely hooked on this. It's a good thing. I think we already have explicit warnings on this podcast, right? Oh, I turned it off. <laughs> we can turn it on per episode, though. So. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. I, does, it, does a show called My Dad Wrote a Porno? You can say porno, right? I mean, like, it's just porno. It's not like okay. there's anything explicit about porno. Will I stop saying porno now? <laughs> I, think we have, I think we have the title of our episode now. <laughs> um, do, does this show, does this show called My Dad Wrote a Porno that I have, like, since, I think I only started listening to it just before Christmas. Um, it's been going on for a year or two. They've had two seasons um, I'm pretty much caught up now. I think I'm like one or two episodes behind. Um, the premise is basically, I can't remember the names of the people who present the show, but sorry, but the premise is around this guy's father who has written this like atrocious um, erotic novel in eight parts <laughs> that he self-published on Amazon. Um, is it real? Like It's real. The, it, it, oh my it, gosh. I think it's real. I doubted it for a while. I know some people doubt it, but it's too... I've listed, there's too much of this content. It, there's too many points when it's like, okay, that has to be real. Nobody could actually, if it's not real, it's the greatest, like, it's even better if it's not real because like, it's a more amazing what these guys have managed to do if they have like but at the very least, created like the book. this fake text. At the very least, you can go buy the book on Amazon. Uh, right. And then the premise, the premise of the podcast is like this guy and two of his friends sit around the kitchen table each week and read one chapter of this erotic novel which is called Belinda Blinked um, and they read one chapter each episode and just react in whatever way seems suitable to them um, and I have been just walking around Dublin like laughing my head off in public on buses <laughs> on the street uh, in cafes um, I did, like it is so good it's so funny my dad wrote a porno <laughs> Okay, I'll check it out. Have you been listening to anything good? Um, let me see. Well, Pod Save America, which is a new podcast, but it's the same people who used to do Keeping It 1600, so they've they've moved network. 
It took me a ludicrously long time to get the pun in that name of that <laughs> podcast. I go- <laughs> uh, Yeah, I was slightly embarrassed once I finally did realize what the pun was. But <laughs> Did you not get... I just didn't get that it was a phrase. I thought they were like, okay, yeah, this podcast is going to save America. I was like, okay, that's fairly grand title for your show. Um, <laughs> and yeah... Is God Save America a really popular phrase? Uh, I think of God Save the Queen. Like, that's definitely a thing. God Bless America is a thing. Maybe Pod Bless America is a thing. <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet, but I did listen to 1600 a good bit. Yeah, it's the same. Um, except they, like, they've started their own network, so they might eventually add more shows, which might be good. Crooked Media is the name of their network. That's a pun I did get. I'm not sure if it's a pun, but that's a reference I did get. That was a great name for a media company. Yeah, it's pretty good. Especially they're like positioning themselves as like the, I guess, left talk radio kind of thing. Mm. And they they often get really good guests, but they interview them over the phone and it's really distracting because the phone quality is so bad. And then they're like obviously in a studio or like have decent mics at least. Mm. Um, so I always like you're listening to someone really interesting talking, but I'm kind of tuning out because I'm thinking about how it sounds like I'm on the phone with somebody. <laughs> you have the usual delay that you have on a phone call. So if someone makes a joke, there's like an awkward pause while they hear it and react to it. And yeah, aside from that, it's pretty good. But I'm also like highly recommend that Podrick stops listening to so much American stuff <laughs> or so much American politics. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not great for the old mental health. <laughs> It's not great for the January blues. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll get some work done in February. <laughs> um, I've also been listening to Hello from the Magic Tavern, which I started a few months ago. It's really, oh, it's so great. It's See, that's what we need. That's what you need. We need more just, like, funny, hilarious stuff like that. <laughs> it's a fictional podcast where the the premise is that a guy has been transported to a magical land that's kind of like a... It's like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of fantasy land or like Narnia type place. And he has conversations with people, the creatures who live there and the people who live there. And then he records them in a podcast and sends it back to Earth. (laughs) And yeah, I think I've listened to, there are 95 episodes and I've listened to about 50 of them so far. Okay. Um, You wouldn't think that premise would go that far, but somehow it does. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no it's I, I mean I've I've only I think listened to four or five of them maybe but it's pretty hilarious yeah definitely and it's they're like clearly rel- they're like improv people doing improv and you can tell sometimes that they've just like sketched out a few ideas of what they're going to talk about and I don't know it's a bit like sometimes improv is amazing and other times it doesn't come together as well as it could but yeah definitely recommend it I always listen to it um, I listen to it at bedtime and then fall asleep halfway through so i use the sleep timer i guess maybe we should wrap it up there we've been recording for a good while yeah thanks again to steam clock and mark up down for sponsoring the show we're looking for advertisers again so if you would like to sponsor our podcast the next episode is in two weeks so get in touch with us uh email one of our names or both of our names maybe at supertop.co and if anybody else wants to support the podcast directly you could send us a tip on paypal.me forward slash supertop yeah so just go to paypal.me forward slash supertop and thousand dollars or whatever you can afford and then send it to us (laughs) um and 
thanks so much to everybody who has been leaving their reviews uh, for the podcast. Um, oh, there was one in particular that uh, jumped out at me from the Irish store here from a mysterious character by the name of Derm Daly. Whoa. He's one of one of the people behind Ool. Yeah. This is, this is like Ool saying that we're the best podcast. Basically. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't even read the comment. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Ever wanted to understand what the life of an indie developer is like? Hear from the developers of Castro and Unread, amongst others, refreshingly honest as they deal with the realities of the App Store economy. The guys speak openly of their search for sustainable revenue streams. Give it a listen. Nice. Thanks, Dermot. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back soon with more from the Super Top podcast. Ciao. Bye.